broadcasting worldwide on internet radio. Refreshing takes on legal strategies. Straightforward answers to difficult tax questions. Independent ideas on building wealth. It's the Refresher Wealth Show with Mark Kohler and Matt Sorensen. Get your free copy of Mark and Matt's ebooks and sign up for their weekly free newsletter with important tax deadlines and articles at refreshyourwealth.com. Now, here's Mark and Matt. Welcome, everyone, to the Refresh Your Wealth podcast with Matt Sorensen and Mark Kohler. This is yours truly, Matt Sorensen. I am excited to be with my amazing host, co-host, Mark Kohler. And the audio, you're going to have to give us some feedback today. We're trying something new, trying a new system here, so to speak, on the audio. So give us some feedback. Hopefully, it's sounding crisp and clear and, and better than it usually does, we hope. Yeah. I mean, hey, it's all about your experience, people. We are so grateful you're listening. Uh, this should be your tax legal source on your podcast player. And uh, we're going to try to keep it real, keep it fun, have a good time with you, make you laugh, make you cry, and uh, just make you feel educated. It's edutainment at its best. And uh, Matt, I'm just honored to be here with you today. Well, it's a privilege, it's a privilege, my friend, to be joining you on the show today. Um, well, today is going to be a really important topic. This is one that has grown significantly over the years, and that is the 1031 exchange. This is essentially a way to defer gains when you sell real estate for a profit. So if you've got a rental property with some profit in it and you want to sell it and not pay taxes when you sell, this is a great way to reinvest that money and not pay taxes. We'll be getting into the details on that and some tricky situations and things to avoid. And we'll be bringing on Scott Saunders, who's an expert in the area to help walk us through this. So, um, but this is something as the real estate market has been on a run lately and the people have seen a lot of appreciation in their properties, those that were smart enough to buy, you know, not when the market was hot, but bought before. And if you've been holding properties for years, you probably have some equity there. Um, you may look at selling them. You may look at saying, hey, I've got some money here. I could sell it, roll those gains into a better property or a better cash flowing property. And uh, I know a lot of investors are active at doing that. So. Um, I'm excited for this, Mark. I got actually a couple personal questions I want to get in with our guest today. Um, well, Matt, I don't think this show. I don't think this show is appropriate for your personal questions. I can. I mean, personal 1031. Oh, oh, okay. I sorry. I thought you were talking about. Yeah. Else. You know, I could always. Uh, I've got a great counselor. I don't think. I, I was gonna say. I don't think Scott's. Uh, I think he stays in his lane on 1031s. Okay. You know? <laughs> So, right. Yeah, I know what you're getting out of his lane. He doesn't want to give me relationship advice or. <laughs> Matt's personal questions aren't even a lane on the freeway. We're talking about <laughs> probably a byway, maybe a, you know one of those emergency it's ramps a, that you get off and you're like, oh. nah, it's a it's a beautiful peaceful country road. That's what my <laughs> that's what my questions are. Yeah, mine's a bumpy dirt road. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> you need a four wheel drive to go down my lane. It's uh. Personal questions. Yeah, snowplow, four wheel drive. Yeah, yeah. How do I get out of this mess? <laughs> but uh, you know, that's that's life, right? We all have different roads we travel in life. Man, gosh, that wow, that was powerful. That was perspective. Yeah, that just just comes out of you. You know, that's what this show does. It just, just I know. He we just all go down into that, that. Yeah, nugget. Man, we all go down different We're roads. All on different in life. Roads, and we all got different vehicles we're driving. 
man, it's sometimes it's an open, easy to drive freeway. Sometimes it's a bumpy dirt road and man, gosh, this has got to, it's got to be a country song somewhere. I'm probably missing it. Maybe is yeah. Garth Brooks say that? Is that, am I quoting Garth Brooks and I just don't even know it? Could, no. no, they're just, that was that's almost just a, yeah. Garth Brooks is the dogs and uh, you know, my truck got know. scratched and I don't know. I, I'm not a country. Tree guy. I don't know, actually. You're, I'm you're in unknown territory. I'm going to stay in my country road lane, <laughs> which yeah, actually does not include country music. Let's just be clear there. It just does not yeah. include country music. That's more of a Justin Timberlake road, you know? A little yeah. hip, a little cool, a little pop. Man, I'm into JT lately. I got to tell you. Man. I love JT. How can you not oh. like JT? Plus, he's a cool dude, you know? Uh, yeah. A good dude. Yeah, here's your music tip um, for the day. Yeah, we won't even go. I would start with legal tip, but first. I got music. one. I got one country guy, though, I want to say. Okay. Chris Stapleton. Okay. I don't think he's kind of country bluesy. He actually has written songs for Justin Timberlake, but oh. um, you got to look him up. Chris Stapleton, go listen to, you know, he's got that song, Tennessee whiskey. That's probably his most popular one, but that whole album, I'm not a country fan. It's one of my favorite albums. Wow. Well, you're a country fan now then. I am now. Well, and you know, I, I will say uh, it, that's Matt's music tip. My music tip is a JT, uh, his say something video on YouTube unbelievable mm -hmm. all one take so hip so hot bippity bop bebop whatever bop it's awesome gotta get there so folks if you're he's just cool looking he's just a stud okay now i get to give the legal tip and uh matt are you cool if i go first yes sir a legal tip that you can actually use a legal tip where you don't feel like you have to take a shower after Okay, now we said at the beginning, the show is going to make you laugh, make you cry, and this uh, make you think deep. My little road example that just came out of nowhere. Uh, we've also got to make you cry. This is a sad one. It really is. So I want to prepare you for this and get in the zone. Um, this was a Memorial Day um, car accident um, example. Now, not what you may think. Now, AAA actually came out and highlighted that the the 10 most dangerous days to be on the road and Memorial day was number one. And that whole weekend is a, is a nightmare. They averaged between five to 700 deaths in America on Memorial day weekend. So sad. I mean, just mm, you imagine being sad, one of those yeah. families being affected on a Tuesday morning after that. So, but here's one of these examples and it's got a very, very important takeaway. So um, two kids down in Bayshore drive in Miami, uh, kind of a famous road, uh, for those in that area, they, they know what I'm talking about. But think of it kind of like, you know, down by the beach uh, in L.A. or, you know, the Bayshore Drive. And I, I think there's what's I can't remember the name of the Shore Drive in Chicago, but just, you know, kind of a picturesque, beautiful little road. We got a kid that just graduated from high school the week before Memorial Day and his buddy that's 16 years old. They both were in their cars thinking they were cool. And they're cruising down Bayshore Drive at excessive speeds, screwing around. And uh, both are minors. Both come from successful uh, families, wonderful families. Uh, in the news, they're, they're, they're very, very complimentative of these great families. The kids were honor roll students, uh, good, you know, generally good kids. But in a moment of weakness, they had seen way too many uh, Fast and Furious movies and decided to hit the road and race down Bayshore Drive. So they're cruising down and hit an intersection, uh, get into an intersection, and there's a woman crossing the street with a baby stroller. 
yeah, this is going nowhere good fast. Kills the mom instantly. One of the cars and the other one uh, hits the stroller. The baby died on Memorial Day weekend, just two days later. So this, this just a, a, a nightmare, right? For the families, for the fam families of the boys, the families for, of this woman, her husband, and her extended family, uh, a, a, a tragedy for the boys' parents. Um, and these boys are both facing vehicular manslaughter uh, with a minimum sentence of 22 years on each count. Um, it, it's just, their lives are ruined. I mean, there is no good outcome at this point. Their wow. lives are completely ruined. And um, now I, my takeaway as a legal tip here is after you get through the emotional piece of this equation, you go to the financial piece of this equation, there's going to be a big lawsuit. And you've got parents with minor children, probably driving mom and dad's car, obviously, right? There's going to be insurance companies involved. Did mom and dad have umbrella insurance? In most states, parents are liable for their teenage drivers driving their cars. And then you have a vehicular manslaughter situation where it's criminal. So is your insurance company going to step up and cover the claim when it's criminal? I mean, you commit a crime. Can you really expect your insurance company to step up and pay this? Um, so anyway, I got John, a hold of John Slowway. He's been on our show before. We, talk, we talked about umbrella insurance just in the last six months. If you haven't listened to that show, please do. Because everybody thinks umbrella insurance is the way to go. Oh, I live in California. I don't need an LLC. I'll just get umbrella insurance and right. I'll be covered, right? Bunch of crap. Listen to that show. Umbrella insurance is good. I carry it. But don't think it's the get all end all. It's only an excess coverage insurance policy. Once your other insurance taps out and covers you, then the umbrella is required to cover you. But if the primary insurance doesn't cover you at all, the umbrella doesn't step in. It's not like an extra policy, people. Anyway, the side note here is, are the parents of these minor children going to lose a, a, a big chunk of their hard-earned income and assets? Not only did they lose their boys to prison, are they going to lose their assets? And I called John Slowey, and I said, John, do you think this is going to get covered under that, that family's uh, primary policy? And he goes, Mark, I'll get back to you. It's taken him five days of research to get back and tell me. I still don't know, Mark. It depends on every policy. And this is why he and I were talking about it. And I said, I guess my takeaway is every person needs to once a year grit their teeth and go sit down with their insurance agent and say, what's my policy cover? Is it going to cover me if I'm texting and driving? Is it going to cover me if my teenage driver is an idiot and kills someone? What happens if I'm being an idiot? What are, when does my umbrella kick in? Is it going to cover my rental property? Is it not? Is it going to cover my home? What happens if some kid breaks their neck out of my trampoline or just drowns in my swimming pool? Ask those questions. And if your insurance agent doesn't have an answer, you make them get you an answer. You get the heck out of there and get a different policy. And, and heaven forbid, you know, this family has done what most of us do is just go on autopilot with our insurance policies, thinking that they're just going to rush to our side in any possible in instance. And you know what? It's just not realistic that we can assume that. So anyway, mm -hmm. the legal tip here is review your insurance policies, review your asset protection plan. If you've built up some assets and you have teenage drivers, oh my heck. <laughs> it's a family show. Uh, get, get on it. 
and don't wait. It's just, it's, it could be disastrous. Matt, that's my tip. Yeah, but man, that's a good tip. I mean, ugh, hard stuff, but you know, that's why we have insurance, you know, kind of working backwards on some of those points. I mean, that's the whole purpose of why we have insurance is to cover these tragic events. And um, I think a lot of people don't know what is covered. And I, honestly, I think a lot of insurance agents don't know what's covered. Yeah, I don't. I yeah. Don't. You, and you know, here's a, one thing I learned just in the process. It's just on one of my own rental properties. Um, it has a pool in Arizona, which is very common. I mean, you know, everybody's got a pool here almost. So, um, but, you know, that's probably the biggest risk on that property that I have of something tragic going wrong where I'm really going to want the insurance. But if I don't have it specifically on my policy that I have this rider for the pool, which you pay more for, and something happened, I wouldn't be covered at all. Mm. I, have to, I have to make sure that's on there to get the coverage. And so um, there's certain things like that that you want to be a little proactive about, and that's what you're paying for. Mm -hmm. um, so really good tip. Um, well, God, you got me thinking about, you know, these tragic deaths. And, you know, we have our estate plan special, of course, right now going on. Just yep, yep. note that, you know, where we're have significant discounts on estate plans. If you want to get them done, make sure you get to us by Father's Day. You can go to the law firm website, kqslawyers.com. We got details there on, you know, how you can sign up for it and get the discounts right now. Yeah, Matt, can I interject? I mean, that's yeah. a whole other tip here. I know you've got a tax tip for us and we'll have to get to it, but quickly, but I, yeah. you know, the whole other side of this equation is this, this mom and daughter, you know, what are they going to do with the proceeds? Did she have a will? Did she have a trust? Did no, she have yeah. other children? Yeah. Um, was what's involved there. And, and so if she died, was she a single mom with other kids? Oh my gosh. Now you've got a wrongful death suit, well over a million dollars. It's going to get plopped into the lap of one of her children at age 18. Now I got another Lindsay Lohan running around with a checkbook. And I love Lindsay, by the way, I, she and I, you know, we follow each other on, on Instagram, but I no, I, your friends. I, so your friends. Yeah. Yeah, we're friends on Facebook. We're friends on Facebook. No, and I and I joke about hey, you you talk about any, you know, child actor situation in Hollywood and how tough it is to grow up in Hollywood as a kid. It's it's brutal. But so I, I always feel bad when I say another Lindsay Lohan driving around because I, I love Herbie too. But I just think you have to you have to realize, do I need my eighteen year old kids running around with a bunch of money? If I had life insurance, if I had, if I died tragically and there was wrongful death, what does this mom have planned for her kids and other kids and first marriage, yeah. second marriage? Bleh. And so that's where that estate planning special comes into play. So good grab. Look at that. Bring it around. Bring it yeah. home. I mean, you know. Yeah. And our special is only good till Father's Day. So if you're listening to now, other than that, during the year, our prices are freaking some of the best in the country. Absolutely. Your estate plan done with a real attorney anywhere in the country. But uh, between Memorial Day and Father's Day, we do a little special and knock up 20, up to 25% in it. Get, mm -hmm. get you right on the call with an attorney. So check that out. Good tip, yeah. man. Man, you're amazing. That's why yeah, I, little, I love you. Throw it out there. I was ready. I was ready. Um, all right. Well, let me give the uh, tax tip. A tax tip you can actually understand and won't put you to sleep. A tax tip that could save you thousands. All right, now my tax tip today kind of relates to this estate plan uh -huh. stuff that we finished talking about there. And I want to talk about estate tax and inheritance tax at the state level. Oh, my gosh. I just had a whole huge conference call on this yesterday in Washington. Okay, this is, 
Yes, there are some scary states out there. Now, here's the good, the, let me just give you the general good news. Okay. For federal tax purposes, and this is another increase in the estate tax exemption happened at you know, the end of 2017 when we got all this great tax reform, all these great tax benefits and tax reductions came through, estate tax is one of them. So now if you're a married couple, you don't pay estate tax and there's no federal inheritance tax, up to $22 million. If you got an estate worth more than 22 million, then you're gonna pay this estate tax. But everybody under 22 million for a married couple, you don't have it, and 11 million if you're single. Now that's with okay. an AB trust, proper planning involved, but you can exclude up to 22 mil. So if you've exactly. got 10 mil or more, you need to be talking, but. Right, exactly, good point. If you've got 10 mil or more, you wanna get an a, what's called an AB trust, which allows a husband and wife to double up on the exemption there for each one of their lives so they can each get the 11 million exemption, essentially. Now, that has lulled a lot of people into thinking, I don't need to worry about estate or inheritance tax. Well, for many people, that's true. If you live in states that don't have an estate or inheritance tax, but let me give you a few people, or let me give you a few states that have some nasty estate and inheritance taxes. Oregon, they tax estates over a million dollars. It's only a million bucks in Oregon. Okay. Exempted. Only a million bucks exempted. And then you've got exempt. Right. And up yeah. on top of that, you're going to pay a state tax. Now, you may want to do some planning to maybe, if you're married, to get a $2 million exemption. And this could be done by the AB Trust also. Um, states like Washington, which I believe has a, about $2.1 million is their state tax yep. over. You've got um, states that have inheritance taxes. Iowa, Nebraska, Pennsylvania, Kentucky. These means the people that get the money have to pay an inheritance tax. New Jersey has an inheritance tax. Maryland. Um, those of you in kind of the the Northeast, you know, and if you're in the Northeast, you're pretty much paying an estate tax or an inheritance tax. And some of those states are like a million bucks in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, 1.5 million. So these are very, those are, these are much lower than what we've discussed and thought about in terms of federal state inheritance tax. So I just want to note that for those of you that are, that may have an estate and you're trying to plan around having to pay it in state or inheritance tax, uh, make sure you're considering your state situation as well. Um, we can also help plan for that and maybe do what's called the AB trust there to double up on exemptions. Um, so you get twice the exemption amount for those who are married, which it does require this AB trust type provision, uh, which we throw in with all of our deluxe estate plans. So just a quick little tax tip there on estate and inheritance tax. Be careful of it at the state level. Don't stress about it at the federal level unless you got more than 10 million. And if you got more than 10 million, you don't got much else to stress about. Yeah, I love it. Great topic. I mean, great tip, Matt. You're amazing. Um, and I feel for you. I feel bad that I kind of pushed off those personal issues and questions you have. So we will stay on you and I after the show and I will help you through anything. You'll fill me. You'll friend. fill those questions for me. Yeah, of course I will because you're my friend. Uh, that's what friends do. So. They're there for you in those trials. So uh, that's what friends are for. You know, actually, the, the Friends the friends theme song, the TV show Friends, that's what was playing in my mind. Oh. Not that's what Friends are for. Like, yeah. I'll be there for you. Oh, see, what, that's, that one? That's, it's the generational gap, you know? Yeah. yeah. Even though I look like a millennial, I, I'm not. And it's, 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 a, it's a challenge. It's really it's yeah. tough. Um, okay, now, uh, <laughs> all right. Everybody, this is the time for now our special guest and I think Matt you're going to be able to do the intro so let's let's get our riff out there for our special guest buckle up it's time to refresh you listeners Mark and Matt have hand selected professionals from around the world 
from successful businesses, personal stories, or hard-hitting tips and tricks, please welcome today's Refresh Your Wealth guest. All right. Well, it is my pleasure to introduce the guest of honor for today's show, um, someone who knows a lot more about 1031 exchanges than Mark or I, and this is Scott Saunders, who is a uh, senior veteran. vice president. He's a veteran. What's that? He's a veteran. Oh, I mean, a veteran. Oh. Yeah. You know, this guy, freaking, yeah. he's been around for 30 plus years, even though- He's been to war on 1031 exchanges, huh? Yeah. I mean, he looks like a millennial, <laughs> but he's been around. He's been around the block. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, he's also senior senior vice president at uh, Asset Preservation. He's in the Denver area in Colorado. And uh, Scott, thanks so much for being with us today. And welcome to the Refresh Your Wealth podcast. Yeah, thanks. Uh, great to be here and uh, really looking forward to this. Well, well, good, good. Well, you know, we, um, we, we saved the topic for this section of the show because once you open that can of worms on 1031s, it just, it, it, it jumps right out of there and, it, and it's, it's, it's crazy. I, I just went fishing last weekend and as a little aside and, and uh, once you open up, it, it was actually a little styrofoam container of worms, but I'll tell you, they're squirrely little suckers. They want to just get right out and get going. So <laughs> I don't know why I brought that up. But I was fishing, you know, it's Memorial Day weekend. You got to throw a line in the water, you know? So anyway, so we've saved the topic for now. So I think what we need to do is owe our listeners a little bit of uh, background and give them justice here with a little basic layout. Now I know there's clients listening today that are experts and they've done multiple 1031s and we're going to get a little technical. We want you to throw out some technical concepts too, but let's just hit a few basics. We've told everybody they need to hear this. So Scott, without going on and on, you know, kind of if you mm -hmm. explaining this to the, the lay person, tell yep. us about a 1031. Why would someone do one? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, a 1031 exchange is simply a method where real estate investors can defer paying capital gain taxes on any property held for investment. So it could be a single family rental, it could be bare land, it could be commercial, industrial, uh, but the vast majority of you know, the people that we see doing it you know, are typically single family rental owners that want to defer taxes and acquire either maybe a larger property or maybe they want to diversify and exchange out of one property and buy multiple properties. Okay. Now the, wor the worms are out of the container now. So, um, because the next question, it just, every, as soon as people hear that, they're like, hold it, hold it. Okay. So I'm going to throw a few questions at you, and I, Matt and I are just going to tag team you here. So the first one is people say, oh, so if I sell my single family home, I have to buy another single family home. Is that true? No, not great question. Let me, let me just uh, introduce a simple concept. Like kind property. That's the tax code. And in English, what that means is just a, that it's a property that is held for investment purposes. And so when I say investment, that would mean generally it's going to be rental income of any type. So it could be a home that's rented. It could be a commercial property. You can hold for investment, bare land, obviously, for appreciation. The types that are excluded are really just two types of property. The, the home you live in, your principal residence, you can't exchange that because it's not being rented. And the other category is property that's held for sale purposes. So maybe a, a fix and flip is a term that real estate investors are familiar with. Those types of properties are excluded. Other than that, any type of real estate, what we call real property, 
could be exchanged for any other type of real estate or real property. It does not have to be a home for a home mm. or an apartment for an apartment, but you okay. can jump between those asset classes. All right. So it's Mississippi swampland can be traded for a, a downtown commercial building in LA and I'm good to go. Absolutely. All yep. right. We see it okay. all the time. In fact, a lot of investors do that. They go from one state to the other. It's real common. Yeah. A lot of Mississippi swamps. <laughs> A lot of profits out of there coming to LA, man. Yeah, lots of worms down there. It's, yeah, it's, it's popular. Yeah. Um, well, let, walk us through a deal. Let's say I've got a rental or an investment property that's got some gains built up in it. Um, and, I, and maybe you can give us an example of someone that sold a property and, and avoided gains here and, and reinvested. How does this work? I mean, do I, there, who's involved in the process? Do I have timelines? Just walk me through a, a sample deal or, or maybe an example you've had recently. Sure. No, I'd be happy to do that. Uh, a key thing when you do an exchange is that you don't want to close on the property and receive the money. That makes it a taxable event. So one, one key part of the process, and then I'll give you a specific example, is you need to involve what's called a qualified intermediary. Sometimes you'll hear them referred to as a QI or a facilitator, an accommodator, prior to closing. And so what happens is the qualified intermediary is actually the entity that sells the property to the buyer. So they essentially, through an assignment of the contract, step into the shoes of the seller and they sell it. Now, why that's important? The investor can't receive the money. They can't in any way have access to the money in any way. So that money is being held by that qualified intermediary um, on behalf of the real estate investor. And so, until they find the new property. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, and when you say find the new property, so let me walk through, you know, very simply because exchanges are fairly straightforward. They may sound complicated, but as a real estate investor, they're fairly straightforward once you understand some, some few basic timelines. So when the property is sold using an intermediary, that's day zero, the real estate investor has 45 calendar days to identify property they want to buy. So those, those days go through weekends and holidays, they're calendar days, and it ends at midnight of the 45th day. That's what we call the identification period. And they can identify one property, or there are various rules where they can identify multiple properties that they wish to acquire. Yeah, they don't have to close, they just have to kind of like choose what they might close on. Exactly, and precisely. They identify in writing. Well, for example, you know, here's property A, B, and C. We're going to buy A or B or B and C or A and C. We'll buy from that basket of properties. So you're right. They're identified in writing, but they don't have to be under contract. The other timeline is what we call the exchange period, and that's a maximum of 180 calendar days from day zero. So think of it as this way. It's 45 days plus another 135 days to close on what you've identified, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's awesome. So, now, yeah. Okay, so now what, another twist here is this equal or greater value. Can you explain if I sell a property for 200 grand, um, mm -hmm. do I have mm -hmm. to go buy something for exactly 200 grand and only one property or how does that equation work? Yeah, great question. So we, we call this the exchange equation. If an investor wants full tax deferral, there really are just two simple rules to keep in mind. Number one, you want to reinvest all of 
the net equity. So it's the net, really you're looking at the net sales price after things like real estate commissions, the title company fee, recording fees. So number one, reinvest net equity. Number two, you wanna have the same or a greater amount of debt on the property that you buy. So if you do those two things, you, have, you obtain full tax deferral. So one way that you hear this described simply is, you know, purchase, uh, you know, go up in value. And that's a pretty good general rule, but it really comes down to technically being reinvesting, number one, reinvest net equity. Number two, the same or greater amount of debt. And as you alluded to there, you can do that on one property or you can split it up on multiple properties. So if I sell one property and identify three replacement properties, you're gonna look at what's the combined mortgage debt on all three of those, and did I put all of the equity into those properties? A term that you'll hear sometimes talked about with exchanges is the term boot. Boot's mm -hmm. just not property. So cash boot is cash you receive transaction, and mortgage boot is a reduction in liabilities. Okay, and the goal is you don't wanna get boot, right? Boot's bad. Yeah, I don't want to get boot. Uh, boots tax. Boots tax. You know, it's boots taxable. taxable. That's a it's, it, the way I tell people. It's taxable, and sometimes, you know, that's that's something that's a great point. A lot of our investors do take some boot. You know, maybe they want to pay some credit cards or buy a car or do whatever, so they can take some money out of the exchange, and then all they do is pay taxes on the boot, and the yeah. remainder's tax deferred. So you can go for full tax deferral and reinvest the way I suggested, or partial deferral and buy maybe one replacement property and receive a little bit of boot. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I mean, you, it, even though, you know, as you say, in the basic sense of the, you know, you just buying something greater or in value or equal in value, again, in the simple terms here. Um, but if you can do partial, I mean, if you want to take a little bit of cash out, that's okay. You're just going to pay tax on mm -hmm. that and defer the exactly. rest. Exactly. So exactly. Not, not the end of the world. Um, can you give us an example? I want to see this, you know, let's bring these pieces together here. If you could, I, I'm just, I just want to hear an example. I think it's really helpful for those listening to see how someone's used this and maybe it's a, you know, one you've just previously done. I know you're doing hundreds of these a year, probably at your company. Uh, give us a good example of a successful 1031 and what they sold, what they bought and how they were able to see yeah. it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and by the way, you know, we, we do a month. So, I mean, when you talk about exchanges, they're very popular and just, uh, and I'll give you an example. Tax rates went up quite a bit in 2013. We, we got the a higher capital gain tax and we got a new net investment income tax of 3.8%. So real estate investors that don't do an exchange, they've got potentially four levels of taxes they'll face. First off, the depreciation recapture at 25%. Then the remaining economic gain federally taxed at either 15 or 20 those that fall under a threshold could potentially face the 3.8% net investment income tax. And then state taxes are really uh, another piece to look at. They, they go as high as 13.3% in California. But getting to your, your question about kind of, you know, what's a real life scenario? Where did somebody benefit? I worked with an investor uh, just recently that had purchased a property a few years ago, kind of at the low point of the market for about $200,000. Um, and this is in Colorado. They, just sold it for five hundred thousand dollars. So the, so they did exchange on this. So it's gone Man, up a lot. High you know, profits in Colorado. Yeah. Well, high times the, the, yeah, the market's good here. It's smart. It's strong in a lot of areas. But they did exchange out of that. So here's what they did with the proceeds. The property sold for 
$500,000. They bought one property here in Colorado for $300,000. Then they chose to go out of state and they bought another home. That's another single family rental for $300,000 in Austin, Texas. So they got one property. They're now getting more cash flow because they've got two houses kicking off rents and they're getting some, the benefit of some diversification. They're here in Colorado, which they like the market, but they've also diversified over into another state where properties are appreciating and there's some job growth as well. So it gave them a number of advantages. So they're, at the end of the day, they're going to see more cash flow, a better return on investment, and they're now going to have two different properties appreciating rather than having all their eggs in one basket, basket and one property. Okay. Gosh. That. That's yeah. a great example. I, and that shows some financial strategy too, because I think a lot of people may have a property that has appreciation in it, um, but it doesn't have good cash flow. And you've got all this equity tied up and maybe Denver's not a good cash flow market, for example. So sell that property. You've got that equity there, that cash, reinvest and go chase down where you get better cash flow and maybe better, maybe better appreciation growth too. Yeah. And the 1031 is a great way to do it because you don't pay the toll of tax when you do it. You yeah. can reinvest right. that without paying that toll of tax. Yeah. Now, right. Here, no, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. And I, I want to give an important point to everybody at, at this juncture, if I could. And, and then maybe we'll peel away the onion a little bit more and get, show some creative examples that people may be surprised you can do with the 1031. But here's what I want to recommend to anyone. If you're selling a property, do not call me six months after you freaking sell it and go, hey, Mark, how do I save some tax on this? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, our conversation is going to be very frustrating for you and for me. So if you're going to sell a property, get engaged in the process even two or three months or more before the sale and say, hey, Mark, uh, can you run some numbers on this? Tell us what you think the tax rate might be. These four levels that Scott's talking about, state and federal and capital gain, recapture, Obamacare, ugh, you know, what am, I, what, what am I looking at? And have your current accountant who's got the basis and depreciation levels that's got your tax return in front of them. For under a hundred bucks, you can call almost any accountant and go, hey, if I sold this for X, what would my gain be? And they can plug it in their system and give you a number. So the point is, number one, if you're gonna sell, Find out what your baseline is. What are you going to pay in tax? What will be that, that, that hit? Then pick up the darn phone and get a strategy call scheduled. Maybe with your tax advisor, tax attorney, us, or even call Scott and go, hey, Scott, hey, tell me if I did a 1031, what are my options? Here's what I'm thinking of doing. I want to buy Mississippi Swampland. I want to buy a, a VRBO duplex in New York City. I want to go buy four fourplexes in Seattle. You know, good luck. But I mean, I don't know what, <laughs> what you're thinking, but just run some hypotheticals. Don't be so cheap and DIY that you're going to go down to Home Depot and find a book on this and think it's going to be done. Now, if you want to go replace the, you know, the faucet in your bathroom, fine. Go hack it out and good luck. But don't screw around with a 1031 guessing, getting on Google, trying to find the answers to this question. Just call up Scott and go, hey, here's my baseline. What are, what are my options? And how much could I save if I went another route? And then you're going to know. Then you can decide. Do I even want to mess around with this 1031 or should I just go on and take the hit and sell it and rip the bandaid off? That, my friends, may, you may spend three, four hundred, five hundred bucks, maybe in some consulting, some support, 
but then you're going to know and you're going to be able to go in with your eyes wide open and properly strategize. Oh, Matt, I had to vent. Was that okay? <laughs> yeah. Did I just piss off half <laughs> I don't know. You know, you had to say it. It had to be done. I mean, this is, you know. This is your intervention. This is your show. It's okay. Get it off your chest. It's all yeah. right. Inter interventions aren't fun, you know. Yeah. But you know, you. I think um, the thing with the 1031 is uh, you don't get to go back. So, and I think with, a, you know, if you're looking to do it, you need to engage a qualified intermediary, someone like Scott's company, and that's their job. They help you walk you through this. Now you're going to need an accountant involved too. Obviously, someone that knows how to do this and report it on your tax return. So you want to get them engaged too. They like to know this before you do it. <laughs> um, and that's a good conversation to have too, because you can be asking those questions of, hey, where am I at on this property? What is my basis on this right now? What tax would I be facing if I did just, you know, take the gain and not reinvest this into another piece of real estate. So, um, so be engaged. And I, and I want to say one important point, this is from a, a real estate investor client of mine. So the investor client of mine looks at his properties on a consistent basis and says, you know, I may have equity in these, but how can that cash be better used? Am I better off selling these properties and buying something else? Or is this market where I'm at a good cash flow market? And if, you know, if he's got a $200,000 property, getting him a thousand bucks a month rent, he's going to sell that thing and, 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 you know, find a property you can get for 200,000 that gets him 2000 a month rent. And so that's something to look at and consider in your properties that you're holding. If you're looking for good cash flow, and that's a perfect opportunity to do a 1031 exchange. So let me ask Scott though. I, I had a question from a client recently who wanted to, who had some uh, real estate investment property that they'd had for years, but what he wanted to do was sell that property buy a, future second home. He was going to buy it as a rental first and, and rent it out. Mm -hmm. um, plan to move into it maybe a couple years down the road. Is that possible to, to eventually move into a 1031 a property you've had done a 1031? Absolutely. You can. That's a, that's a great question. The key issue is the intent at the time of acquisition must be to hold for investment for rental income. So this, you know, in your example, it might hold it for a couple of years. You can then change your mind down the road and decide, I want to move out of, I want to no longer have that as a rental, and I want to move into it and make it a residence. So you convert a 1031 property into a, what's called section 121 property. And by the way, you can do this. You can have a home you live in that maybe you rent out for a year or two, and then you go to sell it. And under that scenario, you can take advantage of section 121 tax exclusion under those rules and also a 1031 exchange on the rental portion. So there are planning opportunities to kind of jump between holding for investment to holding as a principal residence. The key, key issue is at the time of the exchange, what's important is that your intent at that time would be to rent it. And somewhere down the road, that investor's mm -hmm. intent changes, if that makes sense. Yeah, and they move in. I and when it. you say yeah. 121, you're referring to the sale of home exemption, right? Primary residence. Correct. Yeah, primary the primary residence, residence right. Yeah, which, which, is, which is really simple. Great. You live in a two out of five years. You exclude a um, quarter million if you're single, filer, and married couples filing jointly, mm -hmm. um, half a million dollars. And you can do that every two years on a primary. I love it. Now, I'm going to just kind of open this can of worms a little bit more and just throw out a few ideas and that help take this to the next level. Folks, uh, and, and Scott, you might add a two or three to this. Let, let's just have fun for a minute. Uh, you can do a reverse exchange. You can buy what you want 
before you sell what you want to get rid of. And the intermediary would hold title until you sell your the, the, the selling property. And then the proceeds go through this exchange. You can also sell three properties and buy one. You can sell one and buy three. Um, you can do a construction 1031. Um, man, I, I've even called Scott myself going, Scott, I got a client that wants to sell a partial interest in a property, turn around, put it into another property and um, build um, a, a new building on a piece of land that I partially own. And you're like, Mark, we can do it. And I was like, what? And I hooked up my client with Scott on that. I mean, it really, if, if there's a will, there's a way as long as you uh, get started. So, Yeah, and I, and I said you could do a reverse improvement. I can buy a new property and start making improvements on it before I sell. So owner users do that. Yeah, so you, you're testing out some great things. The other thing to consider is that like-kind property is very, very broad. I, I gave you some examples with homes, commercial. If it's considered real property, it can qualify. So in Colorado, water rights qualify. Um, air rights qualify, easements, conservation, agricultural easements, uh, cell towers, that's called a perpetual communication easement. So like-kind property is very, very broad. There's a whole provision that deals with vacation homes held for investment, where some people have to meet certain requirements of renting it out you know, for two weeks a year for a two-year time window. So there, I just want to say there's some, there are a lot of planning opportunities. And I think the point you brought up earlier the, one of the biggest pitfalls that we see people not do, they don't contact CPA before they close. And a lot of people are shocked at the amount of taxes. So I would say, yeah, make that phone call and find out, okay, if I sell, these, this is my combined tax liability that I'm going to owe. And a lot of times when people realize how big it is, they're very motivated to potentially explore doing something like a 1031 exchange to defer payment of those taxes. Yeah. Um, what, uh, besides, I mean, obviously adding in a qualified intermediary in the process, getting advice, you know, those are obviously things you make sure you want to do. Um, what other tips do you have for people who are going into a 1031 exchange or what is maybe some of the mistakes, the common mistakes someone's made where they've, their 1031 exchange has failed? Maybe a mistake, to, yeah. something to avoid. In the yeah. process. Um, you know, a, a couple of things, great question. A couple of things to look at. I would say right now, you know, in the marketplace nationally, the inventory keeps going down, particularly, you know, even with commercial or single family rentals. Yeah. So one, one thing to look at is once you've got your property listed, start working with the real estate professional on properties you want to potentially identify. Don't wait for that time clock on day zero when it closes to start, but get ahead of it. That's where I see people get into trouble as they wait, thinking I've got 45 days. Well, once you do that, and you're in that 45 day time period, it goes by really, really fast. And yeah. so sometimes I see people wait until the very end, they can't find it, they're having to pay taxes because they get ahead of the curve and, and look out far in advance and start you know, trying to narrow the field of potential properties they would like to buy. Yeah, and I, I'm gonna interject just a, 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 an important analogy here that only applies in 1031s. Now, some of you out there might be with a special someone and things aren't going well. Now, the worst thing you can do is start shopping for that replacement property now. You don't want to do that. You want to disconnect the relationship, start with day zero, then get out in the marketplace because you don't want to start that shopping period too soon because then you're going to look like the bad guy or the bad girlfriend that, you know, you never know. You might find that replacement property and want to do a reverse exchange 
and hook up with that replacement property before you get rid of your current property, not a good move. Uh, yeah. Follow the time frame when you're replacing a property in your personal relationships. I just want yeah. to say that. No, no place for reverse exchanges here. No. <laughs> <laughs> way, way, to, way to bring the point home. So, so what you're saying is your personal relationships don't shop early. Yes. You know, wait till the, you know, wait till the, the, the last property is sold. <laughs> Shop for replacements. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. You can get in trouble with the IRS and a stalker. You don't need a stalker. Got it. Yeah. Good to know. You think they're, they're a good idea, but they're really not. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're very uncomfortable. Well, Scott, <laughs> thanks for letting me joke around. This has been awesome. I think this has been a great summary of the 1031 yeah. possibilities and the procedures. Um, we really appreciate you coming on. Wait, okay, where do people go to get more info about you and your company? Fantastic. Uh, real simple. Our website is apiexchange.com. We have a ton of information on there about the process, the steps involved. If somebody wants to call me, my number is 888-531-1031. Couldn't make it any more easy to remember. Oh, nice. I love it. I love it. I like that. God, you guys can have an infomercial or something with that number. That's pretty good. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks so much, Scott, for being with us. We really appreciate it. And thanks for all of you for listening to another amazing hour of the Refresh Your Wealth podcast. Make sure you sign up for the newsletter at refreshyourwealth.com. And we will be back next week with another amazing hour. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening to another hour of refreshing strategies to better live your American dream. Don't forget to get your free copy of Mark and Matt's ebooks and sign up for their weekly free newsletter with important tax deadlines and articles at refreshyourwealth.com. Mm-hmm.